So I think that, you know, we started, so I co-founded this project called the Lit History Month. Um, you know, we were inspired by Black History Month. And um, we've been, uh, it's been going on for the last, uh, since 2014. So it's um, almost five years on. And uh, what we do is we collect um, kind of information and knowledge from community members and we write them. We have a Facebook page. Um, we have a, a timeline that we did at thelithistory.com. We have a Medium page where we publish um, blog posts. Um, and, you know, I encourage you guys to check out our Facebook and Medium pages, definitely. The timeline we need to update. We don't have a lot of help on it yet, but um, it's there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that through the Lit History Month, we've been able to redefine the tone and the character of um, our, our, our histories in so many different ways. And uh, we've been able to, like, uplift voices from the communities in so many different ways. And, um, you know, I just wanted to show, can you go to the previous slide? So I wanted to show one, like, poster that was made by our colleague, um, Denmori Sandarajan, in collaboration with um, Freedom Rios, who's an indigenous artist in um, California. And um, so, I mean, so here, here is an image with, you know, um, children, they're reaching out, and, you know, there's um, leaders from our community, people who've struggled for our rights, kind of reaching out to them in, in this mutual way. And, and it's very different imagery than what we're used to seeing. What we're used to seeing is kind of imagery about, you know, like violence or victimhood, um, oppression or exaggerated um, imagery about, you know, a comical representations of the peoples. So, so I think that this poster and all the images that we've used is a powerful way to talk about the kind of shifts that we've made, and um, yeah, so so you know I was I was um, you know talking about this particular image this um, on your left no on your right um, the the Namashudra man this is a this is an image from an old colonial photograph taken by um, British British colonials and uh, it's in it's in uh, I don't know it's in it's in common it's in, it's in the comments so you can find it but. As a standalone, this image was, you know, it was slightly different. We've done edits to it. Um, we've added color and things like that. But um, as a standalone picture, as it was, it, it seemed like here's a man, you know, he's kind of strange looking. He's looking away into the, into the like, abyss. And he's, you know, he's, he's very lean. It, it looks kind of, like, sad. Um, but when we you know, when we use this picture to talk about a very important piece of Dalit history, which was um, the Namashudra strike uh, in the late 1800s, where um, the, the, uh, the Dalit community of Namashudras were able to bring um, sort of an entire economy of an area to a halt because they um, organized together and um, they asked for better rights. And uh, so people who would previously not sit with us, who would not share food with us, who would not marry to our communities, who would not touch us, um, were forced to sit at, a, at the negotiating table with these communities and, um, uh, and, and you know, draw out a list of rights that they were going to offer. So this, in the context of this particular story, the usage of this image of the Namashudra man, along with a few different edits, like really shifts 
um, how he looks, like how he is perceived, um, how he, you know, is represented in history. Because all of a sudden, at least to me, it seems like he has uh, power in his eyes, his determination in his eyes. And um, that's kind of some things that we've done with several of the images online. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, the, the image on the, can you just go back for just a second? The, on the right of the, of the girl who's writing, she is uh, supposed to represent the first um, um, Dalit kind of feminist writer, which is a 13 years old girl who wrote an essay about the condition of um, Dalit communities in her area. And she wrote about, you know, the kind of brutality, but also this, there was anger and feeling in her writing. Um, there, was, there was asking for resolution and reparation, and there was asking for, um, uh, you know, there was suggesting, this was suggestions for ways to get out of what we were in. And, and, and she's, you know, you have to remember that our communities are almost multiply colonized. They're colonized they were colonized both um, uh, by white people, uh, from different parts of Europe, but also um, they were long colonized by upper caste oppressors. So, so we had to fight to have this image not just be, um, you know, not just be like an image that's different from a white person's image or a white person's gaze, but also from an upper caste gaze because we initially the image of Mukta Salve, which is her name, is um, was an image of a light skinned woman. Uh, or a light-skinned girl with like a bindi and like you know the traditional jewelry um, and, and and all the markings of um, that were not true to how uh, a person from our community would have looked. So, so there's a kind of decolonization of these images that are happening. Um, can forward it. And you know, there's also been um, you know there's also been several other people we've highlighted. We've we've done uh, Gini Mahi, who's a, a, a Dalit pop artist. We've done a uh, Grace Bun, who's a trans woman. She's also part of the Visible, uh, Visible Wiki Women, um, and also Durga Soap, who's a Nepali Dalit woman activist, uh, really a badass. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can go. Yeah. So I'm just showing you these images because these were images either created by our communities um, um, or accepted and and you know um, and and held up by our communities. So you have a picture of Sri Guru Ravidas, who is a, a leader of a major Sikh um, sect, uh, who's from our community. Um, he uh, of of leather workers, so you can see around him like you know leather tools. Um, uh, slippers, things like that, uh, a poster of the Dalit Panthers, um, and also a, a piece of art by a Dalit um, artist called Arvind Raju, who um, drew um, tea, plantation, tea plantation workers. Um, you can keep going. So I think that not just representing um, you know, the moments of resistance, but also representing and owning the moments of violence is is important to us as Dalits. Um, you know, because so you see on the left uh, an image by Arvind Raju, who, you know, it's it's titled Slavery in Kerala, and he he's part of a, a, an anti-slavery religious movement that um, emanated in Kerala. And if you want to know more about it, you know, go to our page. Um, there's a really great article it was written by somebody who's currently in the movement um, in Kerala. So, so, so this is a representation of an image of 
you know, how um, our people were treated um, on the field as they were working. Uh, but I think there's great power in this image because it comes from us and it comes, uh, there is sensitivity and there's ownership and there's um, authenticity in this image that it, it couldn't have come from elsewhere. Um, and also the image on the right of the woman who's holding the baby was an image of a, a, a massacre of um, um, Dalit Christians in the state of Orissa in, in India. Um, but again, I feel like that in that image as well, you know, you have a woman who's standing up, uh, who's standing up and upright holding her baby in the midst of destruction. Um, we can go to the next. So I'll just, you know, I just wanted to just end with this this one story maybe and and um, maybe chime in a little bit later about some of the challenges uh, related to citations and things like that. But, you know, one of the things that really was popular in this year's Dalit History Month was the story of Lovina, who was um, um, a Dalit woman from Sri Lanka. And this is a woman, not, you know, not even, she's really a girl because she was 16 years old at the time. Um, when an English governor wanted to um, have a relationship with her. So we don't know whether this relationship was consensual or not. But here's a woman from a community that's deeply oppressed, uh, that's deeply enslaved. You know, there's a community that weren't allowed to wear clothes, um, either uh, below the knee or above the waist. So you would have these women not allowed to wear a top. Um, even when it was cold, they would have to ask for uh, permission from upper caste people, uh, you know, like, can we wear this? And then you were at the, at the mercy of the upper caste person who would say um, yes or no. Um, so, so here's a woman, you know, again, so this woman was, you know, she was, um, she, ha she was in this relationship, we don't know consensual or not, with this English governor who was uh, 47 years old at the time. And, you know, she, she, despite the fact that she was in close proximity to power and wealth um, in Sri Lanka at the time, the things she asked for from him were only a couple of things. And she asked that her people be allowed to wear garments to cover themselves. And she asked that her people be allowed to um, live in houses with windows and doors because that was not that was not something that was available to them. So I think about, you know, I think about the representations of Lovina um, in common uh, in kind of mainstream places and they and they represent her as having been this harlot, this highly sexualized person. Um, there's cheap kind of erotic fiction written about her. Um, you know, but the but the truth of the matter is here's a young woman who did not have a lot of um, choices for her position um, where she was at but but within the within the kind of breadth of the space that she had she negotiated um, serious um, you know kind of serious well-being measures for her community um, to be able to wear clothes to be able to live in homes with windows and doors was not a small thing um, and, and, you know, I want to think of her as being someone who's inspiring and courageous and not, um, and not this other portrayal. And I think that, you know, being on the internet, being with Dalit History Month has given us the opportunity to do that. And I will quickly, very quickly credit the, the person who did this research is N. Saronan, and he's a Dalit person from Sri Lanka. And, uh, this was, this piece was translated and edited from Tamil to English, uh, by my mom, actually. 
Okay, so I would say what I did wrong first. So for years, I've been sort of uh, beating my heads up against the wall, trying to convince my colleague to publish in open access, to think differently about how they practice their own publishing and so forth. But it really didn't matter. This because the institutional cultures are so steep that my colleagues, and ironically, I'm teaching the international development uh, department, and all my colleagues study inequality of one form or another. But when I call them on publishing in a book that costs $200 to buy, or publishing in a, 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 a journals that would cost $50 to rent, uh, they, 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 they refuse to see it as their problem. Is that that's, I can't do anything about it, right? Uh, the fact that they could do things differently uh, is not available to them. At least that's what, what is easy to say, right? And then it's true. A lot of time, I cannot offer them alternative if they want to advance in the career, right? It's because if they publish in some other venue, they said it's not going to be counted and so on and so forth. You heard that story. Many of you heard that story before. And so... Uh, so after 20-some-odd years, I realized, you know, actually the answer is right in front of me, right? Instead of trying to change my colleagues, and I don't think they will change. I think someone told me once that the only way things are going to change is when they died out. That generation died out. Hopefully the new generation <laughs> will replace them. So that's the answer, right? It's, it's, it's the next generation. I have given up on my generation, and it is, well, sorry, those of you my generation. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it is that I'm 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 looking at the younger generation, uh, and and I look at my across the table. These are the younger generation as well. That when I speak to my student, they get it, right? They get it, uh, and they said, "Why should we subject ourselves to this crazy world when there are alternatives? Why should we uh, walk, box ourselves into this narrow future?" You know, why do we, why don't we resist? So I've been working with my students from first year on. Uh, I used to teach this, well, I'm still teaching this last introductory development studies course. And every year, apparently, they didn't, my colleague didn't tell me that my students have existential crisis after the course because they get so depressed. He said, the world's going to hell, you know, <laughs> you know rampant inequalities, uh, climate change, and all those kind of things. So a lot of students get quite depressed after my course. Uh, and one of my, my colleagues actually uh, started an intervention, so she started a seminar to help my student recover from my course. <laughs> and so that, that course, that, that seminar, she's called Critical Hope. Right, so, and, and she reminded me uh, that, yeah, well, I mean, I, in my course, I tried to instill that there are alternatives, but the way I conveyed it, the student didn't get it. The student only get the the doom and gloom message. You didn't get the, the part that said, well, knowing it is supposed to empower you to make changes. I never got that message to them. So now i restructuring my course to say, well, what can you do from the ground up? That there are other worlds, and many of you have heard about the name uh, Arturo Escobar, a very well-known Colombian uh, anthropologist who have questioned the whole paradigm of Western development. And, then, and he said the whole notion of development, again, is a, post, is a colonial discourse, is justified in today's term. And that if we want to really think about real development, we have to think about 
the world in its multiplicity, that there's not one model of development, that the economic growth in the Western model is what's leading us to a lot of these problems. But when you look at different indigenous cultures, many of our communities in this country, we've been learning so much in the last couple of days about the land, about our, 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 our relationship with our communities, and all these kind of things are things that have been destroy, erased by capitalism, right? To a large extent, we forgot about this importance of relational accountabilities and reciprocities and our, 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 our relationship with the land and the importance. So, uh, Escobar's new book, uh, unlike some of the other development books who are more critiques and so forth, this is really about design. Let's say, how do we design community governance? How do we design structures based on a different set of values, based on values of uh, public goods, based on values of uh, reciprocity, based on uh, values of mutual cares, based on values of uh, the future, uh, rather than how do we make more money out of the earth. And so, uh, so he's providing different types of pathways, if you will, based on different indigenous learning, not just from North America, but from around the world, uh, and also other type of academic learning as well to kind of provide some kind of roadmap. So I'm just starting this work now too, and then a couple of days ago I was at the SFU conference, just before this, on digital democracies, and then there's a group at Emily Carr University Design School who was doing a workshop on redesigning our digital infrastructure. Uh, and they, they designed this kind of uh, game or, or, or process where you can rethink, uh, rethink what, what the current technology is doing politically, culturally, environmentally, and socially. For example, Google Map, what does it do really in terms of controlling our lives and uh, extracting all our data and so forth? And what if you have a different set of core values and they have different core values, values like reciprocities, values like uh, communal goods, values like respecting the earth. How would you design the app then? How would you design the infrastructure then? So I'm gonna work closely with my students and, uh, and all of anybody who wants to work with us and working with whose knowledge in thinking about how we can really redesign our infrastructures uh, from a different set of values from the ground up. And I think we can do it. We, we're already doing different experiments. And there are lots of very, very uh, interesting people. This morning there was a session uh, on a uh, platform for indigenous uh, publishing and scholarship. And uh, there are lots of people already working on it. Uh, the, uh, there's just so many of them. So I was just, uh, we, the more we share about these different practices uh, and the more we uh, uh, reciprocate, I think eventually, in my lifetime, I hope, I will see that colonial system slowly crumble uh, and my students will live in a different world. So I realize time has gone by and this is supposed to be a round table and there's, yeah. <laughs> so far there has been nothing like round table-y about it. Um, but I just want to ask, are any of you Wikipedia editors? Raise your hand if you edit Wikipedia. Okay, okay. Four of you, so maybe we can convert some folks right now. Because um, I'm just going to talk really quickly about some of the things that I saw in Wikipedia. So the, the way I got engaged in Wikipedia was that uh, the Kumeyaay, some Kumeyaay friends that I have, 
invited Seiko and other Who's Knowledge folks to come and, and talk about it, um, I think to sort of like encourage us to engage. Well, I heard the call and I engaged and I implemented it into my classroom and had my students work with local urban American Indian folks and Kumeyaay folks to um, to, to write articles. So we chose some people that we knew we could find secondary sources on and, and my students engaged, um, worked really closely with them to make sure that the articles that they wrote were community approved um, and we were able to get some articles up there. We did hit roadblocks. Um, if any of you have edited, you know there's like notability issues, there's citation issues, people can flag your articles for review and then decide that they're not worthy and have them removed. So it's like this battleground. Like People don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, I create an army to fight in the Wikipedia space because that's honestly what it is. Um, but it was really good for me because it really introduced me to it to sort of see, well, what can we do that isn't article creation? Because right away I was thinking like, well, just write articles. Um, so the other thing that all of you who are already Wikipedians can do, and I hope maybe this encourages others to engage, there's little things, right? So the big thing that I noticed is tribal groups are always placed in the past tense. So I was doing a scan last night and I looked at Western Shoshone, which is my tribe, and it says, you know, used to live in Idaho, Nevada, right? But I mean, you saw my picture earlier, like, <laughs> we're still here, right? Um, so I mean, just edit, just go through articles and just change the tenses. That's something that's like really simple and really easy. Um, word choices, there's these funky word choices, we're often described as primitive right? Like these anthropological terms. If you look at the citations that a lot of these articles have, they're actually not um, even like real anthropologists or historians. Sometimes they were just like hobbyists who were able to get these books published in the early and mid 19th or 20th century. Um, so I love messing with citations too, because I'm like, that's not a valid citation. Just because like, I mean, they should be flagged, right? They flag my stuff for all sorts of things when they shouldn't. Um, and then the photos. So the big thing is also like our tribal photos will always be from like Edward Curtis, right? Which was like this really problematic photographer who actually staged his people, his, his models to look like they were a vanishing race. Um, you know, we have lots of contemporary pictures. So even just switching out photos is something that's really easy to do. And there's lots of contemporary pictures um, online and maybe in open, in open source uh, locations. If you need any, call me, email me, uh, maybe I can find some for you. Um, but there's like a lot of little things that allies can really do to make sure that these, this information is really correct. Because sometimes it's, it's not even like our knowledges are missing. It's like our knowledges are so misrepresented and really filtered through this, you know, what, what Patrick Wolf calls this, this logic of, of elimination, right? The settler colonial structure and complex that continues to operate today which um, continues to try to make us invisible and to make us not in the present tense and, and to represent us through the settler's gaze, right? In headdresses, as men, um, as warriors, as primitive, as savage. So there's lots of little things that, that people can um, do. And then, you know, also just sort of thinking about like what sort of projects are being assigned for your students. So I really, um, you know, try to combat what um, Leanne Simpson refers to as this cognitive imperialism, right, which is like everywhere. So it's like, how do I make Native people present through my student projects? One thing I do is podcasts, um, 
we had this battle on my campus around the name of a building. It was named after Sarah, who is Hunapara uh, Sarah. I work on a Catholic university. He was uh, recently canonized. But he's the father of the mission system, which decimated many California peoples. Um, so, like, I had my students do these videos where they interviewed interviewed our Native students, did podcasts where they interviewed the Native students, and then put them into public spaces, right? So then, like, the Union Tribune picked up on these on a video, right? And um, they ended up doing a story and we just recently were able to get that building renamed. It's still problematic. It's now St. Tekawitha and Sarah Hall. But then we got all of our other buildings on campus with the word mission in them renamed, right? Which ended up being five structures um, that were informally and formally named, referred to the missions. So I think, you know, like this hope piece, that everyone has been referring to, uh, it, it, we have to engage in it. And I think online, it just, it, it allows us to do it in this public way. Um, and I think it, as, you know, as a teacher, it's, um, it's, it's also a way that I'm able to sort of resist and, and activate my students because they love it because they're like, wow, this project is, is actually going to be seen and it, and it will live on in perpetuity in this online space. Um, but hopefully I've convinced some of you to become Wikipedians and start editing those articles because, you know, genocide, there's not a lot of us left. So we need allies to help us do all of this work that's really basic and easy um, and a great way to be an ally. in the Wikipedia space, which I think a lot of people speak to, is that secondary sources. So um, what I've really been trying to do, now my life revolves around Wikipedia, which is so crazy, but what I've really been trying to do is to find like these alternative publishing spaces, right, so that we can like create our own secondary sources. Um, so that's sort of like the big project that I've sort of transitioned to. So um, one of our local tribes has a publishing press called uh, Great Oaks Press. So um, one of my friends was able to get a book contract to do uh, a book on California American Indian women. So um, I'll have a, a chapter in there on local San Diego tribal women who have really been pushing for change in the higher education space so that then I can create pages on them and I can, like, cite, right? Um, but, you know, so I think tagging on to what Leslie's talking about is, is like, okay, we have these rules. So, like, how do we how do we play the game within these rules like, hopefully there won't be these rules at some point, but right now there's these rules. So how do we sort of creatively find ways to get around those things? Um, because I think it can be really depressing. And hearing Leslie talk, he, he's always aware of the larger, like, structural things. And I'm like, la, 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 la. Like, <laughs> I don't want to know, like, those things. Um, but it's good, it's good to know those things, right? And so always thinking about how how do we disrupt this structure? How do we find workarounds? And I think one thing as a Native person is, like, I was never meant to be here, right? I, like, just the fact that I get up and get dressed, I always tell myself this when I feel bad. I'm like, you got up and got dressed today. That's a lot. Like, we're, you know, what you experienced and what your ancestors experienced, like, you're a miracle. Um, and, you know, and so I think, like, thinking about how we can continue to be, to continue to adapt the master's tools, right? People, you know, Audre Lorde and how, like, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. And um, one of my friends at, at one of the conferences we were at, Michelle, she's at University of Hawaii, Manoa. What's her? She's presented on other panels. She's here. I, I, I'm not citing her right. But she said, like, like Michelle Brown. Michelle yes, Lee Brown. Yes, right? Michelle Lee Brown. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, like, her comment was, like, well, how do we know those are the master's tools, right? And I really think about that, and I'm like, yeah, like, we could say a hammer is the master's tool, because that's what it's called. But does that mean Shoshone people did not have some sort of equivalent tool that could, like, hammer things? 
Like, no, of course we did, right? So, um, so I no longer sort of use that in my life to guide the way that I work. Uh, and I'm just always thinking like, okay, so yeah, we didn't write books, but what did we do, right? Well, our literatures were our circle dance songs and our prayers for the pine nuts. And, you know, that was like our great literatures. That was our writings. So how do I take that and, and indigenize it, right? How do I, how do I use it in a Shoshone way? Um, and I think, uh, like these alternative presses are, are great because if you look at Wikipedia, like some of the references are garbage, like I already said, <laughs> but they're viewed value in the space. So like, okay, so how, how, how do we do that, um, to make sure that, that we can just create that change because the future is the internet. Uh, my daughter has a, a, a friend who goes to Grambling State University, major university, right? Their library flooded. They haven't been able to replace the books. They're doing all of their research online. So like, so what does that mean? Um, and it has real consequences.